0: We now direct our attention to the pen of the Hebrew writer, Hebrews chapter 8. I'm going to get this plane off the ground, Brother Morrison, to get us to cruising altitude, and Brother Shabazz will land it. Hebrews chapter 8, our text is verses 3 through 6, and if you'll just meet me at verse number 6. The Bible says, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry but how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Now subject is a more excellent ministry, a better covenant and better promises. In order to appreciate this passage of scripture, Bible students must understand the premise from which the larger Hebrew letter was written. It is essential to understand this because an understanding of the letter as a whole helps us to have greater insight to the text, the topic, and the thought presented here. In a general sense, the Hebrew letter is written to theologically and practically highlight the superiority of the new covenant over the old covenant. It reminds us that the old is a shadow pointing to the new. Most importantly, the book of Hebrews demonstrates the preeminence, the priority, and perfection in Christ Jesus. If there were a trial in which the new covenant in Christ was forced to prove its superiority, the book of Hebrews would serve as exhibit A through Z, for it is theological evidence and it is a practical exhibit to win the case. Again and again, we have heard this week that the letter illustrates the person of Christ as being superior in every way, better than the angels, better than Moses, better than the high priest, a better mediator, better covenant, better ministry, a better sacrifice, a better salvation. We consider a more excellent ministry, a better covenant, and a better promise we must look at this and dissect this. We first consider a more excellent ministry. In, the, in this closer look at the superiority of the new covenant, we see this phrase in verse number 6, a more excellent ministry. Let me first illustrate that the ministry is more excellent because the minister of the ministry is superior. What we must understand is that in Hebrews 8 verses 1 through 2, Christ is mentioned as the minister of the new covenant. It is like being in a courtroom, it depends on who your attorney is and the skill and technical ability of your attorney to handle the law that may determine the final outcome of your case. There was a case that God had against us in that we came before the courts of God and we were found guilty of sin. We were guilty as charged and the sin and iniquity and unrighteousness in all of our lives found us guilty as charged. But we have an attorney. We have an advocate in Jesus. And so what he did is he asked for a sidebar with the judge and made a deal with the judge that even though his client Is guilty as charged. You and I are guilty as charged, but he gave us a reprieve because he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice. What we must see is that Moses, the mediator of the previous covenant, was an inferior minister in comparison to Jesus. But what I want you to understand in Hebrews chapter three. As we look at Moses in comparison to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 3, I want you to notice something in verse number 6. The Bible says, but Christ as a son over his own house. Which house are we if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm unto the end? And I want you to contrast that with verse number 5. Because in verse number 5, it says, and Moses was verily faithful in all his house. I want you to extract two thoughts from Hebrews 3, verse 5 and 6. Number one, in Hebrews 3 and verse number 5, the Bible says Moses was. But when we look at verse number 6, Jesus is. The second thing that I want you to notice about the difference in Moses and Jesus is that Jesus is over the house. Moses is simply in the house. And so I'd rather stick with the person in charge of the house who's over the house as opposed to somebody who's in the house. What we notice when we go back to our text in Hebrews chapter 8, it lets us know that Christ is the true sanctuary. When we consider this word true, it comes from the Greek word alathanos. And what that means is that there is substance in comparison to that which was a shadow. The perfect is contrasted with the imperfect. Christ's sanctuary is true because Christ is true. Christ's sanctuary is perfect. Christ's sanctuary is substance because of who Christ is. It is in John chapter 1 and verse number 9 where John said that he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light, that was the true light being Jesus, which lighteth every man that cometh into his world. We must understand that we have a more excellent ministry because we have a more excellent minister. What we must also understand in this text is that the priesthood under Aaron never completed the work. It is interesting that when the priest would go in the sanctuary... There was never a seat in the sanctuary. There was the mercy seat, which belonged to God. But there was no seat for the priests. But when I look at Hebrews chapter 8, and verse number 1, it tells me that Jesus is sitting. He's in the true sanctuary, and he's sitting. So the question becomes, if there was no seat in the sanctuary for the priests... Where is Jesus sitting? What we must come to understand is that you don't sit until the work is done. Under the Aaronic priesthood, there was no seat for them in the sanctuary because their work was never finished. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 10 and verse number 11 the Bible says by the which we were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all every priest standeth daily ministering and offering all time the same sacrifices and the reason they were standing is because those sacrifices could never take away the sins of those who the sacrifices were offered for. But Jesus is able to sit Even though the priest had to stand because Jesus' work of redemption is done. And when your work is done, you can sit down. How do we know his work is done? John 17 and verse number 4. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gave me to do. How do we know Jesus' work is done? John 19 and verse number 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said it is. Is finished. So the priests couldn't sit because they weren't finished with the work. But Jesus is sat on the right hand of the throne and the true sanctuary because his work is done. He is not continually carrying out his work as if it had never been finished. The sacrifice has been rendered and it is all over. The propitiation has been accomplished. God's holiness and righteousness has been satisfied on the basis of the value. Value and efficacy of his sacrifice. Jesus has not only sat down, but he's now ministering in the, in the sanctuary. In short, the chief priest is seated as high priest with the veil for all of us. But not only does it say we have a more excellent ministry, it says we have a better covenant. It is essential to understand the idea of a covenant in the Bible. Because what you know about a covenant makes a difference in appreciating having a better covenant. A covenant in the Bible was designed to establish a relationship between two parties. But what is interesting about our covenant is that there are two different words in the Bible to refer to a covenant. There is suntheke, which means a contract between two people. It is dependent upon two people doing their part. But the Hebrew writer does not use the word sunthike. He uses the Greek word diatheke. And that's a different type of covenant. Because that type of covenant in ancient times generally referred to a person having a will. It is a man's will. It's not something that depends on somebody else. It's one person saying, whether you do it or not, this is what I am going to do. It was a covenant that always required blood to be sealed. It is a covenant in which two people walked through, or which one person walked through as a blood covenant and it was designed to show that I am serious about what I have covenanted to do. I am serious about what I am doing. And so when we look at the th- fact that we have a better covenant God understood that we forsook the prophets we lost his book we did not hear him in the old covenant so he made a new covenant a better covenant that gives us access to him that's why Hebrews 7 and verse 22 says by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament or a better covenant Hebrews 9 and 15 says he and for this cause he is the mediator of the new covenant that by means of death or the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they were called that might receive the promise of eternal life. We ought to thank God for our covenant. But not only do we have a better covenant that gives us a better relationship, he mentions better promises, a more excellent ministry, and better promises woven throughout the book of Hebrews is the mention of promises in Hebrews chapter four and verse number one. The Bible says, "Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left of us entering into His rest." In Hebrews six and twelve that you be not slothful, but followers of them through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Hebrews 6 and 15, he talks about obtain promises. Hebrews 6 and 17, he talks about the heirs of promise. Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 6, and blessed him that had the promises. Again, in verse chapter 8 and verse 6, we have better promises. Chapter 9, verse number 15, receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Hebrews 10 and 36, you have done the will of God that you might receive the promise. Hebrews 11, verse number 9, it talks about the land of promise. Hebrews 11, 13, these all died in faith, not Having received the promises hebrews eleven seventeen he that received the promise offered up his only begotten son hebrews eleven thirty three who, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, and obtained promises hebrews eleven thirty nine he talks about having attained a good report through faith, received not the promise. The word promise is woven all throughout the fabric of the Hebrew letter, but a promise is no good unless the person making the promise is good and seeing as how we serve the God who says it is impossible for me to lie. You can take God's promises to the bank. There are some wishy-washy people in your life. We all know fake, phony, and fickle, but when God says something, you can take it to the bank and not worry about it coming back non-sufficient funds. We thank God that he made a promise to us. Well, what is the promise? The promise is not land. It's not riches. The promise is not bigger, better, or more. God has promised us eternity with him. God has allowed us the privilege of having access to what we do not deserve. There is going to be a day, the great getting up morning, where the small and great will stand before God and judgment will be be rendered for all of mankind and those who die in Christ will get to be in glory with Christ. We get to sing with Christ. We get to praise God for all of eternity. Let me tell you about this promise as we move to close. This past week, the weekend there was a royal wedding and the Bible talks about the wedding but the wedding that took place this past week was not the Bible wedding. There were people all across the world looking on television hoping to get a spot at the royal wedding. And I don't have any problem with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. They deserve whatever they want to do. If they have the right, the privilege, and the ability to have a royal wedding, I won't take that from them. But beloved, I want you to know that there is a wedding that will take place. And if I might use my spiritual imagination, I can view the Story in the society page in the New Jerusalem Times. Announcing the wedding of the Lamb and of the Bride. And I am sure that Paul, the great penman of the New Testament, would report the story of eternity. Extra, extra. Read all about it. The Lamb of God took his bride unto himself in a service presided over by the Heavenly Father. The crowd was innumerable, the joy unspeakable. It was a Christian Jubilee, the dead small and great were there. Abraham and Sarah were seated first as they beheld the offspring of their many daughters and sons. Samuel traded in his grave clothes and was finally dressed. He served as the best man in the wedding and he stood alongside groomsmen known as the disciples. Solomon uttered the wisest words of wisdom. Esther assumed her role as the bridesmaid. As in any wedding, someone always sheds a tear. The weeping prophet Jeremiah did not disappoint, and he cried out words of jubilation. Elijah appeared at the wedding having traveled first class on a divine whirlwind. Young Timothy stood as the ring bearer, while Titus looked around to make sure everything was set in order. John the Baptist went down the aisle first. He said, before the wedding takes place, I've got to make sure I prepare the way. Led by the sweet psalmist David, The angelic hosts lifted their voices together and praised the name of the most high God. While the cherubim and seraphim hovered over shouting holy, holy, holy. The bride was dressed in garments of glorious white, spotless and without blemish, as is his custom. The groom was clothed in glory. The heavenly father asked the groom if he would take the bride as his his wife, but he did not say, I do. Instead, he said, it is finished. The perfect plan of redemption is complete for eternity. The couple decided to honeymoon in a magnificent mansion that has been under construction since Jesus left this earth. John the Revelator led them to their eternal home and confirmed that the walls had been inlaid with jasper and the streets paved with gold. And before everyone left the ceremony, the Holy Spirit said he heard something he is quoted as saying, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. And as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And with that the Almighty pronounced them husband and wife, and said to all, Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb, it's come and his wife have made herself ready. Thank you, and may God bless you.